The following is the third episode of the Philip the Terran podcast, where I interview one of my new friends, Alex Deal. So Alex is an actor and also a business owner of a yoga app. Um, he is a very interesting and uh, intelligent individual who has a lot of phenomenal advice uh, about how to get into the acting career. And uh, he really sh was able to shed a light on the possibilities that literally everybody has to become an actor that barely anybody knows about. I know quite a lot of people at least used to dream of this. Maybe nowadays it's more being a YouTuber or TikTok star. But at the end of the day, uh, I think acting is a very interesting and a phenomenal career to get into if you succeed. And in this podcast, you get advice from someone who actually has done it. And uh, and I think the the overall advice and the overall state of uh, of how to become an actor is much better than you you would have thought, right? So I really encourage that you listen to the whole thing. And uh, if you are interested in pursuing this career, uh, that you follow Alex's advice. So once again, thank you for bearing with me in the intro and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Yes, thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak with me and, and share your very interesting story of how you became an actor and how you also have a yoga app business, which is quite amazing actually. Um, so yeah, so thank you. Uh, why did you come? <laughs> why did why do you want to talk to me? Thank you for having me. Um, well, we've been talking a little bit about me joining with your uh, agency for social media stuff, which I really, really love your thought process behind all that stuff. And um, yeah, I feel like I'm still at hopefully the beginning of my career with a lot of these things. So uh, I feel like while it's definitely helpful to get some interviews with people who are really far along in their careers, it's also helpful to get some people who are, you know, in the more beginning phases uh, so that, you know, I feel like all of that's helpful for potential listeners. Yeah, very much so. And I, I think it would be amazing if you blow up and you become a superstar and then this is on YouTube and then I get loads of views from it. So yeah. <laughs> from the perspective, I also think it's great. I also think it's great. But uh, let's start. I want to first talk about acting. And I have a couple of questions for you. Um, and I think it will. this should be helpful for anybody who wants to follow in your footpath. So tell me, so since what age have you, and actually before, before you say, why don't you introduce yourself in a little bit more detail? I just kind of did it a little bit too quickly. T tell us about, you know, who you are, how you became an actor, how you got into yoga, et cetera. And then I'll start, start off with my questions. Yeah, so my name is Alex Deal. Um, I am originally from Washington, DC. My mom is from Spain, from Madrid originally. Um, and my dad is American. And both of them growing up worked for the US government, uh, which is obviously not <laughs> where I <laughs> at all. Uh, very much I chose the opposite. Um, and yeah, actually the way I got into, oh, I guess before I tell my whole story of how I got into everything, I am an actor, I'm a writer, I've also produced a couple things. I'm currently associate producing a documentary. Um, and I was a yoga teacher for five, six years. Um, and then I decided to kind of, I wanted to close that chapter of being an active teacher, like teaching in-person classes and actually having clients, but I didn't want to completely say goodbye to that world. So that's kind of how I came up with the idea of uh, releasing a yoga app, which later I'll get into a little bit more of the details because I think it's really cool and to my knowledge, at least, there's no other yoga apps that are kind of approaching it from the angle that I'm doing. 
That's super interesting and very impressive. I think it's really cool to have like, you know, your two main things. Um, so yeah, I think it's really, really awesome. So let's deal with it one by one, right? So acting first. So tell us what age did you get into acting uh, and why? What, was there a moment? Was there like a revelation? Like, oh, I want to do this with my life. Um, how did that, how did that happen? Yeah, so actually I am not the typical personality type that I think most actors are, um, or at least what most people not in the industry think of as actors. I think a lot of people think actors are like, we love being the center of attention. We always are the life of the party. We have all the eyes on us and we love and we feed off that attention. Especially growing up, I'm changing a little bit now and I'm getting better at socializing. Um, but especially growing up, I was really, really socially awkward. I struggled with um, making connections with people. And the very first time I was ever on stage was actually because it was a requirement for my English class back in elementary school. And I absolutely hated it. And I was like, I'm never going to do this again. I couldn't handle people looking at me. Um, and then in middle school, one of my best friends was auditioning for a play and she was like, just come with me for moral support. And I was like, fine, just because you're my friend, I'll do it. And that first year I did not get cast, which was a funny story because they literally cast people as trees and rocks, like in <laughs> people were getting cast as inanimate objects. And I was so... You didn't make it to be a rock. <laughs> I wasn't even good enough to be a rock or a tree. Um, wow. And then the following year, my friend again wanted to audition and she was like, come with me again. I really need the support. And I was like, you got cast last year. I didn't. There's no reason for me to come with you. But she convinced me. Um, and then I auditioned again. And I think this time, because I really didn't care and I had no expectation of getting in, I actually was able to do really well at the audition. Um, and I ended up getting cast as one of the leads in uh, the musical The Music Man. Um, which was very unexpected. And initially I wasn't sure if I was even gonna accept the role because I struggle so much with people having their eyes on me and with the tension mm -hmm. being on me and stuff like that. But then I can't remember who it was. It might've been my mom reframed it in a different way. Or maybe it was my drama teacher who was also the teacher of band, like the band uh, teacher. Cause I used to play flute back in the day. And she was like, yeah, that's who it was. And she was like, well, look at it like this. You struggle with making conversation with people. Think of it like this. The script has the conversation laid out for you. And you just have to figure out a way to make it work. And that actually took a lot of pressure off for me. And that made it really enjoyable because I always struggled, especially back then with like, oh, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to keep this conversation going and not be awkward. And it was a huge relief to just be like, oh, I have a map laid out in front of me. I just have to execute it. Um, so that was really how I first got in was through theater and school. And then that same friend who had me audition for that play with her started getting into community theater, which if you don't know is usually unpaid, but sometimes they'll have like some pay, but it's not on a full professional level. It's kind of the mm -hmm. in between a school production and a professional production. Um, so I auditioned for some stuff with her. And again, I got cast right away as several large roles. And by the time I had adopted that mindset of like, okay, this is really cool because it's a way to express myself and connect with people in a way that doesn't feel as natural in my everyday life. Um, and then from one of those plays that I did at a place called Silver Spring Stage in Silver Spring, Maryland, 
Um, one of the other actors in that was my age. I was 15 at the time, she was 16, and she was auditioning for a boarding school called Interlock and Arts Academy, which mm -hmm. I don't know how they qualify this or how they rank all these things, but at the time it was ranked the best arts boarding school in the nation. Um, so I basically decided, okay, I'm actually interested in this. So I decided, I convinced my parents to let me apply. I applied to it, I got a scholarship, and then I ended up going for my last two years of high school there, which kind of set me on the trajectory to take this in a more professional sense. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, that, that's a that's a lot, but I, it is very practical. You know, I feel like from what what you've explained, I see the practicality in it for some for a listener who wants to be an actor. Because I think the 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 mainstream advice for nearly everything is go to school and go to college, right? For nearly everything, right? And mm -hmm. it's like you'd be like okay get good grades go to acting school uh, go go to an acting college and then you start your career but from what you're telling me you have opportunities when you're like 12 or maybe even earlier you know so there's always opportunity it's just like where, where can these opportunities be found and how hard is it to go to these editions um well it really depends i think that depends on like your location because obviously if you're in a more rural area, there might not be as many opportunities, but because I was in the suburbs outside of Washington DC, there's a lot, a lot of theater. And if you have, if you're younger and you have a family member who's willing to take you to those auditions, there are always opportunities in the like larger, more metropolitan areas of any state or of any country. Um, but sure, if you're like in, a very rural area that might be a little tougher but especially nowadays i think it's so much easier to get involved because you can just google online like auditions in my area and stuff like that wow okay so this is actually it genuinely is blowing my mind the path to be an actor is so much different than i thought and it's so much better easier and just better for anybody who wants it it's just this information that you're sharing like how, like there was a time in my life when i was thinking about becoming an actor right whether i'm a good or bad person for it it was a very brief period but mm -hmm. i did have it so i do feel that personal kind of connection to your story being like you know if i want to make a move what do i do etc right and i feel like there's a lot of people out there who are very interested in becoming actors and have a lot of passion for it but feel kind of lost so let's let's bring it down in terms of numbers in your opinion right so i think it could really put it into perspective let's say that you live in england right uh so in london uh doesn't uh, forget your like so this does, it doesn't depend on asia right so i, I know there will be some discrepancy but if you are let's say a 14 year old right and you want to get into acting how many auditions is there per year in the city of london in your opinion Roughly, well, obviously can't be exact. <laughs> yeah, this will be a rough estimate because I've never lived in London. Um, but I think oh, it's tough to put a number on exactly how many, but I'd say at least, well, are we talking professional, like paid level? Or no, no, no. You need to get started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can talk about paid in a little bit, oh, but let's hundreds, let's, hundreds, yeah. There would, be, there would be stuff with TV, there would be stuff with professional theater, there's probably stuff with community theater, also at like community centers or at your schools. There are so, so many opportunities, and especially nowadays that people are really taking their content online. 
I think it just is a matter of being willing to start from square one and not having an ego attached if you have to do an unpaid project or if you're doing something that's just a skit for social media. I mean, nowadays with TikTok and with Instagram and with all the other and YouTube and everything, so many more people are creating content and they always, always, always need actors. So I would say there are hundreds. It's just a matter of being willing to start without an ego and being willing to start at square one. And then also your accessibility to actually get to those auditions, which nowadays more and more are becoming online. So that's not as much of an issue. Even, okay, so in a, in a non-COVID world, in a COVID world, it's different, right? Because you have like Zoom and stuff. But then in a non-COVID world, um, it's literally a train ride away for anybody in England. Literally. And that's a London only. I mean, like, if you're very serious, you could go to all the other cities as well. You go to Manchester, to Liverpool, you could go all over the place. So point is, to anybody listening, if you're not trying to be, if you want to become an actor and you're not going to auditions, if you don't become an actor, it's on you. It's on you because this is, I mean, this is what, what else should the world provide? You know, like this is like, if you have so much opportunity, as long as you have this information, what you, what you just shared, I mean, like the world is your oyster, as they say. I never actually got that because I don't understand what is it to do with an oyster and the world. I don't know, maybe you can, do you actually understand this? This is a quickly off, off topic. I've never thought about what it could literally mean, but now that I'm thinking about it, it either has to do with food or it has to do with pearls. And I feel like it probably does not have to do with eating an oyster. It probably has to do with a pearl. So I think it's probably saying <laughs> your oyster and it's up to you to turn the stuff inside the mollusk into the pearl. Maybe? Is that what it is? What? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I just think it's a bit weird. I mean, they could, they could have came up with something more interesting, like kind of easier to understand. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's weird how this has became the, the mainstream thing to say. Uh, yeah. But anyway. <laughs> I have no idea why they say that. Because I'm honestly this is not weird. Super clear this is on weird. how a pearl is made in an oyster. Isn't it like a grain of sand gets inside an oyster and then over years and years it turns into a pearl? So maybe that's what it is. Well, is like, majority of people don't know that though. <laughs> So, so how is this mainstream? <laughs> I mean, I might be totally wrong. I also might have like heard that back in the day on a TV show and it was made up and I just took it as truth. I don't really know. <laughs> well, but I, I would imagine a mainstream thing we should all understand, but it, it, it just seems like this thing that we just think, oh, yeah, this makes sense. We just don't know. And we just repeat it to each other. You know what I mean? But yeah. uh, anyway, super random tangent, but back to the topic. Um, so basically, if you really want to be an actor, all that you really need is to find these additions. And how do you find these additions? So let's give more help. So how do you find an addition? Let's say I am living in Brighton, per se. I'm just mm -hmm. naming random English cities. Um, how do I go and find additions this month for anything, right? Free, for free. Yeah. What do I do? What do I do? Um, so there's a couple different ways you'd want to go. Um, if you are enrolled in a school, even if it's not for an acting program, you'd probably wanna look around and see if there are any opportunities there because that's probably the most easily accessible stuff. Um, whether it's a college or a university or an elementary school, primary school, that's probably a good starting point. Um, and then also nowadays we have the awesome tool of Google. So I would just Google Brighton auditions and then that'll be a great starting point for where you can get going. Also, I think it's, especially if you are younger, 
a great thing to do is to reach out to agents and managers um, because what the challenge later on down the line becomes, okay, you're 27 or you're 35 or you're 50 and you're trying to break into the industry, but you're competing with so many other people who have been doing this for years and years and years, especially if you're starting young, even if you don't want to commit your entire life to it, mm -hmm. you have a much higher chance of being represented by a legit agency or a legit manager. Um, and those are really the gateway into the higher paying jobs. Um, how, do you, how do you find them? Quick question. So the way that I found mine uh, was that after Interlock and Arts Academy, I also went to college, which I don't necessarily recommend going to university for acting because I kind of wish now I had dived straight in. Uh, because like I'm saying, there are fewer opportunities for younger, or there are more opportunities for younger people and fewer actors of those agents. For so sure, I, for many reasons. Exactly. And I wish I'd gotten started a little younger, but you know, now it's just all a learning experience. But the way, so I got it through a showcase that was through my school. But since then, I've had to change my representation a couple times. And what I've done since then, which I recommend for people Especially, I, I can only really speak to film and TV because I don't have much experience in theater after a certain age. Um, but what's really great to do is to go on to IMDb and you can, if you get either like a free trial of IMDb Pro or if you or a family member has the funds to just pay for even just one month, which isn't very expensive, then what you can do is go into IMDb Pro and search some of your favorite shows and then look, click on the actors who are maybe not the lead lead actors, but someone who is like either showing up in a couple episodes or maybe even someone who only shows up in one episode and you can click on their profile. And then if you have the pro version of IMDb, then that will basically show you if they have representation, it'll have their representation on the side. And then sometimes they have their contact information listed immediately, or it'll just say like, Phillips Talent Agency or something like that. And then from there, you at least have a starting point and you can Google Phillips Talent Agency. And then from there, each agency and each management company is different. But um, then you have a starting point that you can actually start reaching out to people. And especially if you're starting young, it doesn't matter if you don't have any experience. It doesn't matter if you don't have any footage of yourself. People, when you're young, expect you to not have any of that and they're more willing to take a chance on you. Um, so I think if you're able to do that, that's great. Also, I'm sure that there are resources that are similar for free. If you just Google it, I think that's the best way to do it if you're going for film and TV. But if you don't have the funds to get IMDb Pro, or if you're in a country where they just aren't putting that type of stuff on IMDb, like for example, now that we're both living in Spain, I'm realizing a lot of Spanish TV shows and movies they just don't put their stuff on IMDb because that's not the that's not the regular thing to do up until a couple years ago. Um, mm -hmm. But if you are in a place like that, that's a great place to start. And if not, just Google your city or a nearby city uh, talent agencies. And yeah, not to say I, you can't get you can definitely get auditions without them. But sometimes, especially if you go into if you're trying to pursue this in a professional professional way. A lot of times they know that actors are very hungry and can sometimes be crazy and desperate. So 
they don't want just anyone reaching out to them asking for auditions, which is why sometimes they only release auditions to agents and managers, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. And for anybody who's young that's listening, I think uh, the one thing I want to add to this, like you're saying that there's a lot uh, more opportunity for younger people is because a lot of kids do not have the initiative to be like, let's go get this. You know what I mean? So I think if you just follow Alex's advice now, when you're younger, I really think it, it will really work in your favor, right? So if you can like even show this podcast, like your, your, your parents and be like, you know, I want to do what Alex is saying. Could you help me? I think you'd be in a fantastic position to really get into it. Don't you think? A hundred percent. I also want to add to that on the other end of the spectrum, if you're someone who's later in life, like 60 years old or older, that's another range where there's just not as many people because it's really cool and fun to be like a starving artist, quote unquote, when you're in your 20s and your 30s. But then by the time it's like 50s, 60s, you know, people, if they haven't found success and they're not super committed to staying with this job or this life path, they'll fall away. So there's a lot of opportunities for, again, there are fewer roles maybe for people of those age groups, but there's also much fewer people still auditioning for those things at those ages. Mm -hmm. So the really challenging areas I think are 20s to 40s. But if you're younger than that, or if you're older than that, don't worry about having any materials, you can just start going out and trying to get those opportunities yourself. Amazing stuff. I have a very interesting kind of bunch of stuff to ask about in terms of this. But first, tell me, would you be, do you think it's a good idea for you to make like TikTok content sharing more of this information? Because I really think this is incredible information. I mean, like this is like if young people, if you were to make content around this for young people, how to become actors, think it would help a lot of people achieve their dreams. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's a market for that. I don't know if I'm personally the right person to do it, just because, like I said, I'm still kind of overcoming this challenge of putting myself out there. Like, if you look at my social media, a lot of it is not very personal. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, I'd be open to talking about that for sure. Um, I definitely think that this is information that, kind of it's like you forget how valuable this information is because once you've kind of For gone sure. through all these steps, sure. it seems like oh yeah i know that already and once you're like in these circles of people who are all doing the same thing it's like sure that's not new information but uh, you're right i do forget how valuable this is and all of this stuff was new information to me at some point so yeah i think you're definitely hitting the nail on the head. Yeah, there's definitely a market for that. Exactly. I hope you think about it and do it at some point. But uh, <laughs> I, wanna, I wanna dive deeper. So, okay, we talked a lot about prospecting opportunities, right? But now let's talk about taking opportunities. So you go to an audition, what are they looking for? And do you think there are talents that you're born with? And do you think there are talents that you can develop? And how should people deal with these things? Because it's, they're important, you know, like what you actually do, it's not only just about sales, it's also about this, this service you're performing, right? So what do you think? Yeah, I love the way you just framed it at the end. This is a service you're providing. And I think where a lot of people struggle, myself included, especially when they're starting out, is we think of ourselves as an actor who's desperate to get a job. We just want to get the job and we want to be approved of. And that makes us enter the audition process of like, oh, am I doing it right? Do they like me? And you try to like, you start spiraling in your own head of like, 
okay, what are they probably looking for with this? And then you try to change yourself to meet what you think their expectations are. Um, but from every conversation I've ever had with a casting director and anyone on the production side, and even from casting my own stuff, because I've produced a couple things now as well, um, I think what's much more important to keep in mind is we want real people. Like we want to look at real people or at least people who are behaving in these situations as a real person would. Um, this is one of the few industries where people who have zero expertise will watch your work and make judgments of you. Like for example, I'm True. not- That's actually so deep. That's so deep. <laughs> think about it. That is super deep. Anyway, go on, continue. <laughs> no, yeah, thank you. Um, but yeah, like for example, a mathematician or a physicist, I would never consider giving my opinion on a mathematician's dissertation on XYZ because I just know I'm not an expert in that. But because the average everyday person generally consumes some sort of media, everyone has an opinion on everyone's performance. And another thing that's interesting is almost every single actor, I think without a fault, every single actor has, even if they've been a part of amazing things, that doesn't mean everything they ever do is going to be fantastic. Like how many Oscar winners, for example, Oscar winning actors have we seen that later go and create a movie that's total trash in many people's mm -hmm. opinion. And um, also, and also, I think there's a lot of actors that a lot of people like to crap on or shit on, <laughs> whatever explicit you you wanna you wanna use here. Like for example, Nicolas Cage. I, I there's so much criticism for Nicolas Cage, and then I've watched Mandy, and he was incredible in Mandy. I don't know if you've watched that movie. Uh, it, it's very explicit. It's really dark, but oh, he's fantastic at it. But he's somebody that's been like. As a as a consumer myself, I've always heard of Nicolas Cage, always the same face. And then I watched him in Mandy. I was like, this is one of the best performances I've ever seen. So just going to your point. But anyway, continue. Yeah. So I just think the most important thing is to approach any opportunity you have, whether it's an audition or if you're just meeting someone else who's in the industry, whether there's a job for you or not, whether there's a role opportunity in this moment or not, um, to just approach it from like remembering that you have the power and they and you just want to show your value and your take because you can have 500 people um you know do the exact same scene and 300 of them are going to be fantastic actors so it's really not a question of you're a bad actor or you're a good actor sure if you if you really are struggling with your acting technique you might want to go and take some acting classes but i think a lot of times where acting classes and especially acting like intensives or long studies where it's like multiple years i think that we get into this mindset of oh i'm doing it wrong let me figure out all the things i'm doing wrong and make them not wrong you know mm -hmm. I correct the things i'm doing wrong instead of thinking what is new and what's my take on this how is how would I interpret this? And instead of something, um, a casting director that I'm taking a course with right now named Lucy Lennox, who's actually based in Barcelona, but she kind of runs a bunch of English language projects that are shot in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, something that she said recently that really stuck with me and I loved was that we should be thinking about how we can bring that character closer to us rather than what can I change about myself to be more like the character? 
And sure, if you're doing a biopic or something where you have to interpret an actual person who's existed, sure, you're going to have to do some of the opposite. Or if certain things about yourself just are really off the mark for this character, sure, you might have to change certain things. Mm -hmm. You should try to approach stuff from what's my spin on this? What's my take? Because you're always going to have a unique point of view and a unique approach to everything. And that's really where it's valuable. Because if we take it for a given that you're a good actor, which honestly, I think everyone has the ability to be a good actor. It's just a matter of getting out of your own way, which sometimes school and study and stuff like that can be useful because it is like a muscle that you have to keep trained. You have to keep using it or else, you know, you get worse at it. And then once you've been doing it again for a little while, you feel more confident. But I think it's just all about confidence in your own abilities. And then how can you put your own spin on it? Because we don't really watch things as audience members at least maybe a writer would feel differently because they have their own perception of how they mm. they want it. to control they want to control it <laughs> <laughs> like, they don't want to give you the power <laughs> yeah so the writer and maybe the director would be thinking well this is how i imagined that character does that match up but an audience member and a casting director and people like that are all just looking at like, okay, what's this person's unique spin? They're not, especially audience members are not watching you thinking they did that right or they did that mm -hmm. wrong. Where we sometimes come up with judgments as audience members is like, oh, that didn't feel truthful to me. Or like that felt a little fake or that felt inauthentic. I feel like generally that's where our criticisms of performances come in is where, where we can see something was an idea that they wanted to do but it didn't quite land for us at least. Mm -hmm. And maybe for other people it does, but I think that looks fake. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important to not be worried about doing it right. Quote unquote, but like, what can I bring to this? Because we are essentially giving a service. And I think that that's something we also forget because actors are so, what's so weird about actors is also this kind of overlap a lot of times with celebrities. Um, so we we want to always be approaching it from like, how can I make this interesting? How can I make this unique instead of just like assuming someone's going to be interested in watching us just because we're us, you know? And that comes onto the more money side of, I don't know if I'm making sense, but that comes I along. For me, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, sure, from a pr producer side, which are generally the ones who are financing this stuff, they want to make sure a lot of times like, oh, is there a name attached? Does this person have a, you know, a history of being able to turn a profit on a movie if they're leading mm -hmm. it? But that's not really a concern for an audience member. And I don't think that should be a concern for an actor, especially when starting out. The, the real concern should be, what can I bring to this instead of like, how can I do it right? Or how can I prove I'm worthy? You know, we don't want to be coming to it from a place of proving our worth. We want to come to it from a place of like, I already know I'm worthy. It's just a matter if like they like my take or if they like someone else's take better. And if it's not, it's not a personal thing. And I know I did a good job with it. And I know I brought my own take as opposed to thinking like, oh, I didn't get the job because I did it wrong. You know? Yes, I get it. So do you know what that kind of tells me is that probably the most important trait in this business is self-esteem. Do you agree? I definitely agree. And I think that that's what's so challenging with people who become, uh, there's a term that I can't remember the exact wording of, but it's like they become professional students 
of acting instead of becoming professional actors. And I also don't think that becoming a professional actor means that you're making your living off of it because <laughs> that's so much reliant on things outside of your control. And, um, but I think there are people who constantly become obsessed with the idea that like, how can I become better? Not to become more competent in myself and to have more tools in my toolbox so I can bring my own interesting spin to things, but they become, obsessed with like, how can I get rid of all the things I'm doing wrong? And then in the end, they're not really bringing anything new. They're just trying to eliminate yeah. all the things that could be wrong, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and I think by doing that, you're just becoming more average in a way, right? So you're, you're becoming more standardized. And, yes. that, and that's, and that's you're, you're losing your edge, right? Because your uniqueness is what really puts, is, makes you stand apart in this business. Am I right? Yeah, and then I think also when you get into that mindset of like, because I think class is a great thing. Like, for example, I just mentioned I'm taking a class right now with a casting director. And I think that that's super valuable because of what I said about it being like a muscle. Like, you want to make sure you're always being trained so that you feel confident for when the opportunities do come up that you know you're like, oh, I'm not rusty. Oh, I feel good about this. I know I can do this. Instead of being like, oh, God, I haven't acted in nine months. Like, can I, do I still remember how to do this? Um, so, yeah, I think sometimes too much training or training from the wrong mindset can work exactly against building your self-confidence. And I think self-confidence and self-esteem is the most important thing when being able to show up as a full human being, even mm -hmm. if your character is supposed to be not confident, um, you know, but I think that, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head that trusting in yourself and your own abilities uh, is super, super crucial to success in this industry. And I think oftentimes that's why some younger actors uh, crush it right away. Whereas people who have studied and studied and studied for years and years and years sometimes can't get out of their own way to get these opportunities. If yeah, because pressure rises. I mean, the, t the more time that you invest and the longer that it takes you to get a return on that investment, the more pressure you automatically put on yourself. And that's just how it is. Well, it, what, do you know what this makes me think? I really, well, just for you to consider, because you are very knowledgeable about this topic. Uh, and I, you know, I don't know the industry um, anywhere near as much as you. So maybe what I'm saying is complete nonsense. But I really think there's quite an opportunity for you to teach people these things, like a mindset as well. Like, I, like mindset seems to be everything here. Like if you, because let's think about it, right? So if you have the wrong mindset, right? And you go to an audition and you fail once, you could have been the next Brad Pitt or whatever, like you could have, but because you didn't have the right mindset, like you, you would take it as a critique that you're a bad actor because you didn't get this job. And then you, the acting world will never see you again, right? And mm -hmm. I wonder how many people have failed because of having the wrong mindset, you know what I mean? So I really think, what do you think about this? Is that a, a problem in the market in, in terms of, especially for young people, like young people completely struggle with mindset. I mean, young people have, Young people are that age group that have the biggest mindset, self-confidence, self-esteem problems out of all of them. And they're the ones that have the biggest opportunity here, which is like a, an intersection of something that you could really help out. What do you think? Definitely. And I think a lot of that also comes from the messaging that we receive from acting training programs. Because if you think about it, acting training programs exist in two spheres from my perspective. They exist, or three maybe. One is community building, which that's always great. 
The next one is they want to provide the service of improving your acting. And no matter the technique, we can generally usually say like, oh, that's good acting or like that felt false. Um, so those two are always great, like improving your acting and then building the community. But the thing that we sometimes forget is like, this is also a business for them, for the school or for the coach or for the teacher. So they're invested in keeping you a lifelong student sometimes. Um, and that's mm. where I find a lot of trouble in, I mean, I can only really speak to LA, uh, but a lot of the acting schools that I was going to in LA, it was clear that they wanted to establish a dependency from the actor on this mm. school to be able to have that self-confidence. And I think- uh, that That's actually kind of screwed up if you think about it. Like they, they want to keep you not confident. They want to keep you, they, they want to make you think that you're nearly there for as long as possible. Or they want to think you can only do it when you have their help. For example, yeah. I won't name any names, but there's an acting yeah, school that I really, really love their technique and I love their approach to stuff. But they really imbue this idea with you that, you know, is sometimes true for some actors, but not true for everyone. They make it sound like it's universal across the board. Every actor who is working has an acting coach who works intensely with them on every single project and every single scene that they're doing, which is just literally not the case. Some people do because that's part of their process and they love having that acting coach, but I don't think people should feel dependent on that, especially because that comes with a financial element, which makes it even more unrealistic. Okay, now mm -hmm. I'm just working at my non-acting job so I can pay for these acting classes and then feeling like if I don't, pay more for these acting classes and private one-on-one -on -one coaching that I'm not going to be good enough. Whereas really, I think there are a couple people out there that are really focused on mindset, but I think you're right. There's definitely a mark or there's not a market because it wouldn't be taking people's money, but I think there's a lack of mindset coaching and like help with mindset, especially for younger people for this industry. Maybe. Uh, so I, I think this is a problem in all of coaching. I mean, like in the coaching in every industry, right? Because I've been exposed to it and I do feel like this is genuinely a thing. This is like if, to increase lifetime value, they'll give you, you know, little pieces of information uh, just kind of to get you, make you feel like you're nearly there. Do you think this is a problem of incentives and business model? Do you think, for example, rather than making, taking money from people before they make it, having some kind of commission arrangement, maybe like like lowering the price of entry for to get started and then uh, given commission for the first couple of years or until you reach a certain amount. Uh, do you think so? Like I'm being very practical here, very business minded, but I do think that that is a part of the problem. And that is what we should also talk about. What is your opinion? You're obviously also a businessman. You have a, a yoga app, right? Which is a business. So what do you, what is your opinion on this thesis? Yeah, I definitely agree to an extent, but where it becomes an issue in practicality is so an agent, at least in the US, will take, and I'm sure that there's some sort of set thing, but depending on whether you're union or non-union, um, and I know stuff is different in every country, but in the US, it's SAG-AFTRA is the main film and TV union. And then I, I, again, I won't speak on theater because I'm not really experienced in that world, but I'm sure it's something similar. Um, uh, for film and TV agents, depending on whether you're union or non-union, they'll take anywhere between 10% of your paycheck to 20% of your paycheck. And if mm -hmm. you have an agent and also a manager, 
your manager will also be taking like 15 to 20% of your paycheck. Um, and then also you have to deal with taxes, which if you're working in your state of residence, you only have to pay taxes in California. But for example, this last year I worked in Chicago on an NBC show and I'm going to be having to pay taxes in Chicago and LA. Mm -hmm. And for example, wow. people who are working in Canada, but they're, US-based. They have to pay Canadian taxes and also US taxes. So I think that becomes tough to incentivize uh, for the student because you're already giving away so much of your paycheck to so many people. And then it becomes tough to incentivize on the instructor's realm because just numbers wise, I don't know the exact numbers and before the next time we meet, if we continue talking about this same subject, I can I can look that up if we want to get more into mm -hmm. it. I think it's something like one percent of all, either five percent or one percent of all the actors that are a member of SAG-AFTRA, which is the Actors Union for Film and TV, are making any sort of money off of acting. The mm -hmm. other ninety-five to ninety-nine percent are just a member because that gives them the opportunity to continue auditioning for these higher level projects. And then out of those people who are making any sort of paycheck, a fraction of that are making their living off of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's just tough to, as an instructor, which I'm not an instructor by any means, mm -hmm. but I imagine it's tough to incentivize for the instructor to have it be commission-based exclusively. Yeah, well, um, it definitely can't be exclusive. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah just because of the number of opportunities. But I think it's a good idea that like, if you're getting coached on a specific project that you guys could negotiate instead of, or like, I think it would just have to be a case by case basis. But I think that's a good idea that like, maybe, oh, I could give you like a discounted rate for this coaching if I get like a percentage when you book it because for, I believe- yeah. Or for this much. many years, you know, you could, sure. you, you could have a cap. I think a cap would be great. Because then I think that solves your problem of like, okay, so, you know, I'm already paying so much commission to all these different people that are helping me. And if I have to do this for the rest of my life, it's kind of like being a slave for them. You know what I mean? Like they helped you 20 years ago, you know, to, to get started. Uh, so I think that will be a problem. I think something like a cap could help. But I think this leads us on to another big and important, scary and difficult question, which is money in acting, right? So let, let's talk about how difficult it is to go from succeeding in your first edition to making a job to being a superstar because most people who want to be actors want to be superstars i'm sure that you agree with that because it, 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 i would be shocked if you would say no because I, anybody that i've ever heard of being an actor they don't dream to be some uh, someone on the side or you know or someone that like did one movie they want to be the person the, the actor so Tell us from your experience so far, what is the journey like in terms of finances? And obviously disclose all that you want to discuss personally, but you know, talking about the market in general, I think would be very valuable. Yeah, um, I think, first of all, there's a big difference between rates for union stuff and non-union stuff. And again, I wish I could speak on theater, but I just don't have any experience in that. Um, and I can only really speak for stuff based in the US. Um, but for non-union projects, 
the good thing is when you're starting out, there's a lot, lot more opportunities and it's much easier to get seen for those non-union projects because usually they don't have the middleman of the agency, you know, kind of making sure that not just any old actor gets in. Um, so that's a great starting point, but realistically, you probably can't make your living off of non-union work unless you're doing national commercials consistently. What uh, is union work? Let me let me interrupt you. So I I don't know all the terms. I don't know the the kind of setup. Can you explain to me the what, what these things are? Yeah. So union falls under basically everything. So there are podcasts nowadays. There's um, commercials. There's stuff for social media promotion. All of this falls into like the marketing side. And then of course there's TV and film and streaming, which falls into the TV category as well. So and what's the union? Oh, what's the union part? So union is just like any other workers union, it's established to help protect the rights and the wages of the workers. So in this case, it's for the actors to make sure that you're getting paid a, a what they're ah, I see. their wage. Mm -hmm. And that if this production is doing something that's against the rules, that is either unsafe for the actor, or if it's just like taking really advantage of the actor, then the union will step in and kind of act, not necessarily as a lawyer, but they basically can shut down the production or really step in on your behalf and make sure that this, this stuff is reinforced for you. Mm -hmm. um, and also for union productions, at least every union production I've ever been a part of, whether it's commercial or if it's um, film or TV, then that also means that it generally comes with residuals. With residuals, that basically means every time that your project airs, whether it's a commercial or it's a TV or a movie, anytime it airs on online or on TV or anytime it's streamed through Netflix or whatever, you'll get obviously not the same paycheck that you got the first time, but you'll get a small cut from that, which is how sometimes, for example, the big example is like the actors who were on Friends would never really have to work another day in their lives just because of how many times Friends is being viewed every day across the world um, because they're getting small paychecks from that. The difference, mm -hmm. that's all union stuff. They basically just have a lot of parameters in because they know that acting work is so hard to come by they want to make sure everyone is protected. And that doesn't really necessarily, it's not as much of a concern for the huge celebrities because they're negotiating at a different level with their lawyers and their teams and all that other stuff. This is, to my view, that's really, it's it's also a way to provide healthcare for people um, who are in the union, uh, but it's mostly just making sure no one's getting taken advantage of uh, either for safety or for money or any other reasons. For example, there's um, now there's a big thing for intimate situations like um, mm, I would imagine actually. Mm. Yeah, but that's only come around in the past like three years. Like in twenty, I can't remember if it was twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. I was working on a show called Strange Angel, which mm -hmm. the, the premise of it and it's based off a real story. Uh, a lot of it has to do with a sex cult, sex magic. And <laughs> if you want to Alistair Crowley, it so has to do with him. Um, and it has to do, yeah. So you should look that up if you're interested in that. It's very weird. Very weird. And I don't think it's available in Europe at this point. Um, but so crazy. that obviously, right. if that's the content of the show, obviously there's going to be a lot of simulated sexual situations. 
Um, and up until recently, there was no standardization of protocol of how to protect the actors and performers when they're in a vulnerable situation like that. And now, because a lot of actors have stood up and said, hey, like we need some sort of protocol, the union has come out with a standard set of protocol and they need to, the production needs to hire a specific person who their only job is making sure that everyone feels comfortable, everyone knows exactly what they're gonna be doing, They've already talked about what level of exposure they're comfortable with, what they aren't comfortable with, what angles, what is going to be seen, what's not, et cetera, et cetera. So that then it doesn't get to fall on the actor like, oh, I thought this was not going to happen. Or like there was some story, I can't remember what movie it was or what actor, but a story from way back in the day where the director told this actress that, oh, don't worry, we're just filming this nude because we'll be able to see if there's a bra or something, but we're not gonna show anything. And then of course, in the final cut, you end up seeing her boobs. And it's like, that's obviously hugely inappropriate, but at the time there was no way to protect the actor from that situation mm -hmm. because, so unions are mostly set up for all of those variables. Non-union basically means anything, usually they have much smaller budgets but they can still be just as widely seen. Like there's a lot of Netflix projects that are non-union. There are a lot of sometimes Amazon projects that are non-union, but mostly there's a lot of commercials that are non-union. So you can, it's basically up to you as the actor. Am I willing? And they'll have something set up in the contract depending on what the project is, but like they'll usually have pay for that day. And mm -hmm. then if it's a commercial, for example, they'll have something called a buyout, which the mm -hmm. buyout basically means I'm going to pay you, say, $5,000 so that I can use your image in this commercial forever as long as I want. Or mm -hmm. it'll say like, oh, I'll pay you $2,000 and only use it for two years or et cetera, et cetera. But with mm -hmm. um, non-union, generally the rates are much lower. And I've never heard of a union project that has residuals. They're usually all just buyouts. So it's a great way to get your foot in the door. And especially if you're in that age range of 20 to 40 something, it's a great way to kind of build up your footage, build up your experience. Um, but it's very, very easy to be taken advantage of or to like not make your money's worth. And generally the much higher quality stuff that has like big name actors and big name directors and stuff like that, that all falls under the union. Okay, wow. This, this is, a, yeah, it's a lot of information. It's actually like so many things to kind of uh, go into here. First of all, I think you, I did not expect to hear so much about a union. Uh, I had no idea that unions are a big deal in, in acting. So maybe tell us, tell us a bit more about that. Like, I see why you explain a little bit, but when, when did that really start? Uh, so have unions been around since the 60s, the 50s, uh, or when, when, did, when was union born? Because acting was only born really in the 20th century. So when did unions come around? Well, acting on film, you mean, was only born in the 20th century. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Think, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Theater's been around for a long time. <laughs> sure. But it's, it's actually interesting because I'm now with an agency out here in Spain and I asked them right away, like, what is the deal with union over here? Is it the same type of thing where I can only audition for certain projects if I'm a member of the union? Um, and they were like, no, not at all. That's something that really you can join if you want to, if you're concerned about it. Or especially when you're like a big working actor who's on like every episode of this thing. Sure, you want to join the union to make sure you're 
yeah. being protected. But it's not it's not the same here in Spain, at least at the moment, that there's kind of this wall of like you have to already be union to even be able to audition for certain projects. And of course, for younger people and for older people, they sometimes make exceptions if there's just not as many people in the union for that. But I don't really know when it came about. I think that it started off as everything separate. So SAG stands for Screen Actors Guild. AFTRA, if I'm not mistaken, stands for Actors Film, Television, and Radio Association. And then Equity, if I'm not mistaken, is what the theater one is called. But I think that all of those kind of came about earlier. I think they've been around for less than 100 years, to be honest. But slowly over the years, as like film, television, and radio have all been kind of combining, they recently, while I was in college, combined SAG and AFTRA to be now SAG-AFTRA. But I think that it really did not come about until, and I might be wrong because to be honest, I have not researched this. But if, for example, you look into the stories of like Judy Garland or Shirley Temple, I think a lot of it came about with like, the mistreatment of child actors. And also back in the day, it used to be very different. You didn't have a contract with an agency who would send you out to auditions. You would contract with the studio and then the Mm -hmm. studio would choose what you're in and what you're not. And sometimes they'd have auditions and sometimes not. Um, But I think that once people started seeing how messed up and twisted and how unfair it was and how people were being mistreated i think that that's when actors i think it really came from actors because the president the treasurer the secretary everyone in sag aftra is an actor whether or not they're booking work right now they're all actors even if they're on the um even if they're on the side of thing that's is like running stuff and creating the policy um so i think it really came about from actors realizing hey we're being taken advantage of Mm-hmm. And that's just because there's no precedence for this up until now. And we need to stand up for ourselves and we need to have some sort of way to stand up for ourselves. And my understanding is that's how any union is formed. Like, for example, mm-hmm. coal miners yeah. union started because coal miners realizing their working conditions were unfair and un- inhumane. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my understanding is it's after kind of what's called the golden age of cinema. Um, that was kind of when all of that treatment of all those people started coming to light, that's what I would assume is when this came about. But to be honest, I don't have, I haven't researched this deeply. So if someone yeah, listening this mm-hmm. says that that's totally false, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. But uh, so that it is still a, a really big deal, you know, like unions here, it seems to be like everything is revolving around them. Right. Which is not, which is not exactly the same, even uh, coal miners. I'm pretty sure they don't have like, unions uh, as like one of the most important parts of their day-to-day life or like day-to-day getting jobs and stuff which is interesting so what you're saying right basically is like you can go into the the union kind of direction where you're where you're protected you'll get your money's worth but there's also more competition there right and if you go down the non-union part right although a lot of these jobs are once off it's a good way to build your get your foot in the door, get some money, build your portfolio, uh, and build your IMDb profile, I guess, because that's like the yeah. LinkedIn of, uh, of acting, right? Totally. Yeah. And I, I think that I would never recommend to anyone to join the union right away. 
Um, they're at least when I was joining, things are always changing and I've been in the union for many years now, so I don't know what the current standards are, but at least at the time you had to like prove that you were working enough to be able to qualify for the union. Um, but I think what's really valuable is to start off, uh, just non-union because that's the most realistic for how you're going to get work, how you're going to get experience. And then just make sure you give yourself permission to say no to projects if they don't feel good for you. Like if there's something that feels icky or something feels weird, or if it's a role that like 10 years down the line, would I really want to have someone find this? You know, like give yourself permission for non-union stuff to take it or leave it. Um, mm -hmm. And then once you're really at a place where you're like, okay, I'm ready to take this to the next level, then that's when I would consider joining the union. That said, there's always exceptions. For example, especially younger people, if you sign with an agency right away, you might start going out for auditions that would generally be considered a union job, but because they know younger people don't have as much experience, there's like some sort of clause or whatever that they audition non-union people. And then if they get hired, they'll join the union for them. Is um, everyone in agencies part of the union? What's the relationship between agencies and union? So there are a lot of union accredited agencies and I would recommend if you can, you should go, this is all US based. Unfortunately, I can't speak to any other country, um, but you should go for a union accredited agency, which I think you can look up just by going to sagaftra.org um, or whatever SAGAFTRA's website is. If you just search SAGAFTRA on Google, you'll be able to find that. And there should be a list of every accredited agency just to make sure that you're not signing with anyone questionable or who's going to, you know, not have your best interest at heart. That way, you know that all these people are being vetted by the agency, whether or not they're getting a lot of work for their people. You at least know that they're on the union's radar so that they know that you can be protected. Um, oh. Yeah. Okay. So, so very interesting. Um, so we're about, we're close to the end of the podcast because I'm running out of battery yeah, also on my iPad, fast. which is, which, I know, which, which is going to die, but I want to, I want to, I think we have enough time to really end on a really strong note. Uh, so tell me when you, so step, step one, go to additions until you get an addition. You'll probably won't be getting any money for the start, right? Step mm -hmm. two, and, and get your IMDB profile and, and everything you know in place, start building your portfolio, start getting experience. Step two, start doing non-union work to get some more serious experience, get some money, in, uh, get some money, build up a portfolio. Now, how do you go to the next level? And what is the next level in terms of position and financially, and how does that look like? And that how what is the road to that? Yeah, so the next, road well to be honest it varies drastically between every single person because i think every actor is just the right place and the right time away from their big break quote unquote um so this could totally shift many different ways and especially now with social media and so many people coming up with skits and you know creating their own content which i fully fully think that's amazing if you feel comfortable doing that not every actor is also a writer and a creator but if that's an avenue you want to go down, that's something you can always be doing. Because one of the most frustrating things as an actor is, I love in Spain that we call it interpretación, which means interpretation, um, because we're interpreting a text, which is why I was initially really drawn to it. But if you're able to create it, I think that's a way to always feel in control. Otherwise, you kind of just, I would say, get into some sort of class or some sort, get some sort of community where you can be constantly working that muscle 
so that you can get an agent that feels good. And, you know, whenever the opportunities come that are potentially career changing, that you know, you're always putting your best foot forward. Um, I'm so that, that would be a, saying this fast enough. <laughs> yeah. And, but, so basically, to finish off, the big opportunity is like the big title. So you you go. It's like it's like when Game of Thrones was uh, when 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 they were starting Game of Thrones, like the uh, Macy Williams for or Kit Harrington. They were not big celebrities beforehand. They were all in acting school, but they went and they got that audition, and now they're Kit Harrington and Macy Williams. You know what I mean? And now they're like they're in loads of stuff now. You know, they're, they're, they're now, they have, once you have Game of Thrones, you can, you can have everything. Uh, so that's really it. Is, is that it? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's mm -hmm. still a little bit of variability. Like it's not, I, as much as I wish it was a more linear path, like most other careers, it's not really ABC. Um, like for like example, ABZ, <laughs> yeah, ABXYZ, yeah. <laughs> um, or sometimes ABWGFX. CD, you know, sometimes it goes back and forth, uh, depending yeah. on what you're willing to take, what types of jobs you're willing to take. But generally, the way it works is you'll start with smaller roles, like here's your coffee miss and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then you'll work your way up to bigger roles where you're called, at least in TV, like a guest star. And then eventually you'll work your way up to larger roles. And sometimes, depending on the opportunities that come your way, you'll get a chance to skip through a lot of those. And sometimes depending on where you are in life, even if you've done larger roles, like I took a smaller role in a Ryan Murphy show recently because I've always just wanted to work with Ryan Murphy. So I was willing to take a small role there. So it can definitely go back and forth and up and down and inside out and flip all around. But generally it'll be like, once you get your name attached to larger projects, more doors will start to open. But ultimately, it's not just about chasing these names and about chasing the resume builders or CV builders. It's about making sure you're always putting out good work and always presenting yourself in the best light possible. Of course. <laughs> and we will do this again uh, in a month or two. As you can see, I just went dark. And that's because I'm on 1% battery. And I, just in oh. case this dies, I just like lowered my brightness to the maximum. Smart. Um, so it's been a pleasure, Alex. Absolutely. I really had a great time. And I think this was very educational and useful uh, to anybody who wants to become an actor. We didn't talk about yoga, but we will talk about yoga in the future. So I expect to see you again on this podcast in a month or two, whenever you feel like it. And, uh, and we'll continue. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I have something coming out in February. So once that comes out, we should do the next one because yes. then I'll actually be able to talk yes. about it. Thanks. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Brilliant, Alex. Thank you so much. Have a fantastic Thank evening. Thank you. I appreciate it.